Supporter Notions is brought to you by FaceFace Games, Canada's number one source for magic singles and products. Check us out at facefacegames.com. I lent it to a friend of mine to play in a, at a GPT, and she was playing against him on a red player. I heard her say, blink, um, out of worm with Restoration Angel. <laughs> <laughs> and then I looked over at the board, and she had Trustani in play. Oh. I'm like, right, well, that, that game's over. Good evening and welcome to episode 74 of Horde of Notions. I'm your host, Chris. With me tonight, just two of the regular hosts. First of all, it's Adina. Hello, everybody. And, of course, it's Travis. Hey, what's up? Joining us tonight, we have a very special guest, widely regarded as one of the nicest guys on the pro circuit, MTGO grinder and owner of one of the most impressive streaks of Grand Prix Top 8s this year, it is the one and only Rita Rabbit himself, Reed Duke. How you doing? Hey, everybody. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, first of all, we have to ask, do people think that you look like Christian Bale? I, I get more that I sound like him, but uh, I, I get that a lot. Because <laughs> I've been saying it, and nobody believes me. Let's, let's hear a really gruff voice. Where is she? Uh, <laughs> no impressions. Not tonight. <laughs> no need to persist the stereotype. <laughs> So, since we've only got you for an hour, uh, and it's not at all to do with Game of Thrones, I'm sure, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll jump right into the question. So, you had a, a bit of a streak there this year, right before Gatecrash came out, uh, mostly with, with that Bant control deck that was just unbelievable, the Bant Drown Yard stuff. Yeah, like, I had uh, two Grand Prix top eights with that, and uh, Star City Invitational win. So, what? T- where did that deck come from, first of all? Well, it was... Uh, just absolutely a collaborative effort in, you know, every sense of the word. Um, I originally wrote about the concept of a Sphinx's Revelation deck uh, using Elixir of Immortality to, to shuffle everything back. Um, that was my idea when the uh, Return to Ravnica was first spoiled. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it was just a very rough idea, rough list. And one day my friend Andrew Cunio, who's known specifically as, a, as an expert with control decks, is like, hey, I'm looking to play standard. Do you have any leads on a, on a deck I might like? So I was like, oh, yeah, you know, this is perfect for you. I gave him the list, and he did um, the bulk of the legwork in terms of tuning and making it, like, a really great deck. And then also uh, a whole lot of um, work was put in by Sam Black. He was the one who came up with the Nefalia Drownyard idea in the first place, which really took the deck to a whole new level. And then... Uh, you know, just fine-tuning from a bunch of other people, Owen Turtenwald, Shahar Shanar, Patrick Chapin. So just, you know, a group effort. So just basically some of the greatest deck builders on the planet right yeah, now. Yeah, all, work, all working together. <laughs> I know, but it's I mean, so inconvenient, you know, that those are the people that you have to work with and you don't have, you know, better people. <laughs> well, you know, you work with what you have. Exactly. Didn't, uh, didn't John Finkel play this deck too somewhere? I'm sure I saw him playing it. John Finkel, yeah, he shows up to the Grand Prix um, late, first of all. You know, he had the sleep-in special. 
and he comes up to me. He's like, all right, Reed, I registered your deck in the tournament, you know, like your your 75-card list, but I've never played a game with it. Can you please give me a crash course? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, like, these are the most important things, blah, blah, blah. You know, try to do what I can in, like, a five-minute sit-down session. First round, he gets paired against Andrew Cuneo in a mirror match, <laughs> the creator of the deck, one of the best players in history, and John just beats him. <laughs> and, you know, that that was the story. He ended up doing better than any of us with the deck that day. Yeah, rumor has it he's pretty good at magic. He is pretty good at magic. So the first time that SCG Black got put together, you were on that team, right? Uh, Yeah. What was that like, walking into a room to play test, and you've got the two greatest players of all time sitting there with you? Yeah, um, it's like, <laughs> you know when they have those uh, sweepstakes where you, like, open a box of Cracker Jacks and you get to go to NBA camp with Michael Jordan and everybody? Like, that that yeah. was what I felt like, just being like a, you know, as though I was a 12-year-old kid, finally getting to go hang out with all my uh, my idols and stuff. But it was even, like, a more surreal situation because I was working with them and I had to contribute and we were, you know, practicing for something that I really cared about instead of just being there for the experience of it all. But it was, it was really something else. Cause I, I guess the temptation, especially for someone who's, who's relatively new to the, to the pro tour circuit has got to be to switch into sponge mode at that point. Right. And just try and soak everything up. Well, the first time I was there, it was, uh, you know, my instinct to be, quieter than normal and uh, just listen because first of all these guys were so much more experienced than me but there was also mm-hmm. the added element of they all knew each other and you know were good friends going in and I was the new guy <laughs> so I didn't have the you know the friendly banter and I was just like really nervous and stuff but was there any Ricky hazing going on <laughs> no thankfully no but um but by now it's you know it's kind of over that and I feel more like part of the team. So probably something that helped establish you as part of the team was, was the players championship. Uh, and your sheet of misplays from that has been legendary. Um, right. How certainly, did... certainly not something I intended to be, you know, <laughs> public, but that was, uh, <laughs> well, that's Owen for you. No choice about that. <laughs> but how, how did that environment differ from, say, this year's mocks? Like, did you find the, – are the two very different, having to play on a computer versus actually seeing your opponent? Yeah, those things – you know, it's certainly different in that regard. Um, the mocks this year was a little bit more um, touch-and-go, you could say. You know, like, each match, they were like, okay, we've decided it's going to work better if we pair it this way or, you know, like, we, we go through this process to make the match – Whereas the uh, the players championship was like very um, professional, the coverage was you know really uh, complete and serious, and they knew exactly what they were doing coming in. So yeah. in that sense, um, the mocks felt a little bit more on the casual side, whereas the players championship was the real deal. However, both tournaments were similar in the sense that uh, all sixteen players were really friendly and. Uh, casual towards each other, and it was just a good atmosphere in both. For sure. I mean, watching the Players' Championship from our point of view, I know I personally felt like I was watching an all-star game of Magic. Oh, yeah. yeah. I felt like I was playing in one. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever at any point, I mean, record aside, did you ever at any point look around and think, how did I get here? Yes, uh, for sure I did. Um, But that was... 
I kind of made it a point not to let that go through my head. It's, you know, there's not really much point in thinking I'm uh, I'm better than this person or worse than this person because neither one of those mentalities is going to help you win a game of Magic against them. It's yeah. more just like, I'm here, I'm really happy to be here, and let me make the most of it. Um, and just, you know, try not to become starstruck or have anything take take my focus away from playing. It's funny, because uh, I used to get starstruck terribly. And even when I was judging at GPs, I used to be like, oh my god, I have to go and answer a judge call for Paul <laughs> Rietzel. Like, what the heck? Right. But doing this podcast has helped that immensely. I mean, the people I've spoken to on here has, has really helped that. I mean, now when I was at GP Quebec City, I was sitting at the feature match all day one and never had an issue with anybody. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, uh, the, the pros are normal people. You know, with a couple of sure. exceptions. <laughs> I was going to say, what are those uh, most part things? <laughs> so, here's a question. If you took you and Paul Rietzel and Martin User, who is the nicest guy on the pro circuit? Because you've all got that reputation. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm sometimes, uh, you know, like a little bit baffled that I have this reputation. Basically, like, for me, I always just try to be, like, polite and respectful, and I, I don't, like, rage when I lose or anything like that. But uh, yeah. I don't really consider myself, like, the friendliest or most outgoing of, of the pros, um, so that that title would probably go to somebody else. I don't know, because I remember uh, when you had a feature match at Quebec City, I was I was on the table with you, and you were playing... I think you were playing against Li Shi Tian, and right. like, he, he had his human reanimator deck, and... I think he, he just demolished you in one of the games, and there was literally no indication on your face whatsoever that you had just been obliterated by this combo. <laughs> and he was smiling and happy, and I said something about not seeing certain lines of play and how it was way over my head, and then we had this discussion about it. I'm like, most pros would have just got up and been like, I don't even want to think about that. Yeah, it was just... that Paul, Paul was the same way at GP Vancouver, and I thought, wow, like... Well, there the, are the some... secret really is that you don't gain anything by, uh, you know, by having that attitude. You you can get really frustrated every time you lose, but you know what? I play Magic for a living, and I lose ten times, you know, every single weekend that I play. And if I got that upset every time, you know, I'd have a heart attack when I was twenty eight. You know, it would it just wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So if for our listeners, I mean, we we focus on the crowd of people who are. FNM people who you know occasionally go to GPs and might be trying to graduate to the pro tour level. If some of our listeners wanted to get started playing online seriously, how would you recommend people get started? What formats are best to break in with? Where should they focus their attention? Well, I guess there's two answers to that. Um, first would be the the person who has lots of resources and and money and uh, collection online, and for those people. The, the way to go really is um, you use the constructed daily events to, you know, just to, as your bread and butter because um, you, you have to experience, like, a number of different decks, a really good representation of the format, and you'll learn quickly like that in addition to those events being uh, really good value, you know, paying out a lot of packs compared to the entry fee. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then if you want to, you can take your winnings from that and play limited, learn sealed deck and draft and stuff. The other side of the coin, which I get a lot of people asking me about, is what to do with Magic Online if you don't necessarily have all this money, if you're just starting from scratch and, and want, want to do what you can on a, on a budget. And 
under those circumstances, I think you want to just think carefully and build one constructed deck, and maybe it can be a budget deck, that's fine. You know, mono red is a fine starting place. But you get one deck, and you stick with that deck, and you really make it your own, and uh, know every matchup, and you play those constructed events, and after that initial investment to build the deck, you'll you'll really get the ball rolling and uh, be able to play from there. So I know people like yourself, and of course Brad was the, the first one, Brad Nelson was, the, well not the first one, but the, the highest profile person to come from MTGO yep. uh, to Pro Tour success. What's the what's the secret? How how do you get to be a better player? Because I mean, do you watch your own replays a lot? I do. For example, yeah, yeah. The the main value I would say, well, there there are a number of values to playing on Magic Online, but really the one that stands out to me is just the sheer number of games you get to play. Um, if there's a way to lose a game of Magic, I have lost that way on on Magic Online, you know, and uh, it just makes you really appreciate all the little things about the game, because it's like, oh, I uh, played my lands in the wrong order. Yep, I lost. You know, maybe I lost ten times, maybe I lost a hundred times, and that's going to, it's going to make an impression on you just because you played so many games and you've encountered these situations so many times. So Mm -hmm. volume is huge on Magic Online. But as you mentioned, uh, also the ability to watch your own replays is very helpful. Um, I try to stress for people that are really trying to take their game to a next level, you want uh, quality, either quality of games, either in addition to or instead of quantity of games, because um, you're not really going to learn from your mistakes if you're not completely focused on the game, which is why, left to my own devices, I don't really like to uh, multi-table when I play Magic Online. I like to just fire up one event, play each game, let it sink in, maybe watch my own replays if there was a tough call or, uh, you know, a loss that I want to evaluate. And just having access to those tools in addition to being able to play anytime you want, you know, on the drop of a dime, Magic Online is just such an important tool. Is there value, do you think, in playing in the tournament practice room, in the two-man queues, if you're not sure you're comfortable with the deck yet, or would you just not recommend those at all? Well, the best thing to do would be to have a friend that you know and trust. It's really helpful to play against people that are uh, at your same, you know, level, basically, uh, same, you know, familiar with the same level of competition, sure. because you can really just get anybody if you're playing in the tournament practice room. You can get the, the guy playing his you know, 52-card, like, tree folk deck or something, and that's that's kind of going to give you a different experience than playing an actual tournament deck. In actual You'll, you will definitely deck. experience every variation of a red deck known to man in the tournament practice yeah, room. absolutely. As, as someone else who started online and then transitioned into playing in real life, um, I, I found that I had this issue, and I'm wondering if you also found that playing in real life, all of a sudden, remembering all of your triggers and remembering what cards do and remembering power and toughness of things. Um, my first couple of tournaments, I just felt like I was playing with a blindfold on. It can be big. I had the advantage that actually I had been a live player, um, you know, like casually to, to some degree, but I had you know, been playing with the the real physical cards since I was five years old. And so once I, you know, had some breakthroughs online and went back to playing high-profile live events, 
it was not completely new to me. Um, granted, there were some things to overcome, but I, I felt like I had uh, a good uh, foundation in both live and online play. But certainly, <clears throat> a lot of my friends who are, you know, the great online grinders do experience that. Um, <clears throat> they have trouble with the clock in real life. They have trouble getting, you know, the shuffling done and all these uh, the little technical things that you have to do. Yeah. And they have trouble with the triggers, exactly as you said. So it's something to watch out for. You said you started at five. Did you have an older brother or a parent that played? Or yeah, exactly. My older brother, uh, he's five years older than me, and we both started at the same time, mostly just playing against each other. And then, you know, like anybody else, eventually found a local store, and that was that. And you were hooked. <laughs> yeah, right. Start them young. Yep. So what it seems like in the past couple of seasons is that you've picked a deck and stuck with it. I mean, you had the Bant deck, and then you're, you're sort of known for Jund right now with you and Owen playing it at the Pro Tour, and you played yeah. it right at the GP after that. And, of course, you won the mocks with Jund as well, although that was a very different Jund back back then. Yep. Well, you know what? That's that's just the approach that works for me personally, is to stick with yeah. one deck. Um, I feel I get a lot of value from learning, like, my my individual list inside and out, I know exactly, like, with pinpoint accuracy, why every single card is in the deck. I know how to sideboard in every matchup. And once you get a certain level of experience, you are just comfortable handling unfamiliar situations, which is really the point you want to get to for a long tournament like a Grand Prix. Sure, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But how do you pick a deck? Like, Do you just pick what you consider to be the best deck? Do you do any brewing before you get there? What's, what goes into that? Now, there are a number of, of valid approaches to picking a deck. Um, but personally, what I do is I look for what are the best, you know, slash my favorite cards in a format, mm -hmm. and what is the best deck to use those cards. So in standard, that's going to be... Uh, I mean, basically, Thragtusk is the big one, but also right. Farseek, Huntmaster of the Fells, Rakdos Return. So, you know, it's it's not a big stretch for me to play Junt. Um, and same thing in the older formats, Deathrite Shaman, Abrupt Decay, Tarmogoyf. So I'm likely to play Junt in uh, Modern, Junderbug in Legacy, that kind of thing. But... uh you know, when, when different cards are most powerful, you know, when Sphinx's Revelation really caught my eye and returned to Ravnica, it's not necessarily that I'm always going to go for some, you know, creature mid-range deck. It's just what what cards seem most powerful to me, how can I use those cards? So that's my approach personally. Well, what style of play does seem to be the your, your preferred? Are you more of a, the mid-range creature deck, or do you like control, aggro? I like... Uh, mid-range, and I like control. I'm not so good with uh, the suicidal aggro decks. Like, I, I will certainly play mono-red if if it's the best, but it would have to be kind of a, a clear head and shoulders above everything else for me to choose mono-red. If it's a tie between mono-red and a control deck, I'll go with the control deck. Um, I really enjoy the feeling that the longer the game's going to go on, the more advantage I have, you know, I, I like the feeling of like, okay, if I could survive this initial early rush, I'm going to have a great chance to win the game. So, uh, I tend to choose decks that fit with that. Either a straight control deck or a mid-range deck that can kind of 
play defense for the early turns, and then flip a switch like Jund and go go offensive when I'm ready to. So then how did you wind up in the Cult of Rakdos? The Cult of Rakdos? Uh, a number of reasons, but first and foremost, I just wanted to be the only, you know, top player who didn't choose a blue guild, because I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm so blue. A, Nobody's, like, under. playing against blue decks. Like, just give me, you know, something fun. So uh, I chose... It, they actually first asked us at the Players' Championship, and we ran around a circle. Everybody's like, Azorius, Azorius, Demir, is it Azorius, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm just going to be Rakdos. Like, forget all these guys, you know? Uh, you should have gone with Boros. You get to punch people. Yeah. <laughs> Well, oh, sorry, well just... as a fellow member of the Rakdos Guild, I, uh, I thank you for choosing Rakdos right, and, and bring, bringing us some, some you know, inf- infamy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I was just sitting here thinking about brewing a deck with, with the cards I like best. So somehow I have to squeeze Prime Speaker Zagana, Assemble the Legion, <laughs> <laughs> Thragtusk and Grizzlebrand in one deck. This seems like it might be difficult. Yeah, under you know, when that comes up, you kind of have to... Uh, Choose one of the possible directions that you would enjoy. Unless you're Holly oh. Trazi, then you just put them all in the deck. That's what, that's what they put a chromatic lantern for, Chris. Throw a chromatic lantern in there. <laughs> Yep. Well, I mean, let's face it. If you needed someone to build a mana base for you, you'd go to Holly Trazi. He's good at it. Yeah, he's good at what he does. What do you think of Assemble the Legions, by the way? Um, I'm a big fan of cards like that. I really like those potent uh, non-creature threats that can really take over a game. Um, the Civil Legion feels like a Planeswalker in a lot of ways, although yeah. with the difference being Assemble the Legion's effect is kind of backloaded, like it doesn't have a big impact the turn it comes down like a Planeswalker might. Um, mm. So that tends to be a, a drawback of cards under normal circumstances. You know, you want... Uh, you want things to have a big impact when you draw it off the top of your deck. You want to, you know, come out ahead in the early game so that you don't have to battle back. So a card, you know, in the template of Assemble the Legion is not historically going to be a good magic card. But Assemble the Legion is just so powerful. It's so unique that um, it overcomes those disadvantages. So I, I do think it's really good card worth paying attention to. Because I played it in a red-white-black deck with Grizzlebrand, and um, <laughs> I was playing it with Mutilates, and I had uh, Terminus in the board, because I just didn't care if I swept my board. I yeah. was getting six dudes the next so time. So in right? that way, it really reminds me of a Planeswalker, you know, just the classic uh, recipe of Planeswalkers and, and board sweepers. Same thing goes with Assemble the Legion. Yeah. Kill all you want, Chris will make more. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I have picked up as many of them as I can find. I just love the card. It's, it feels really powerful. You're so assembling you, you, a legion of assemble the legions. Uh, <laughs> that's the thing. So are you heading down to the Invitational next weekend? Yep, I'll be there. Are you settled on a deck for both formats? Um, standard, I'd say I, I'm settled. I'm playing Jund. And then Legacy uh, is up in the air, but it's it's likely that I'll just play Bug since, you know, with without... Um, a lot of time to prepare. I'd rather just go with something I know, and yeah. I feel like there's I can't mess up Bug too badly. You know, I, I played it in the last invitation and did pretty well, so I'll go with that. Yeah, I'm Charlotte's agent. Green in all the formats. Yeah, um, probably no Charlotte's agent. Um, the Charlotte's agent build is is pretty appealing, but it's a little weaker against combo, which I think is a dangerous 
risk to take um, at this this stage of the metagame. Well, one of my friends who plays locally here has been streaming Legacy Dailies recently. Oh, yeah? And he's his record over the past four Legacy Dailies, he's gone 3-1-4-0-4-0-3-1-2-2 with 10 fins. And ah. the deck's obscene. So that's, you reanimate Grizzlebrand and then you use it to combo off with uh, Tendrils? Or you use it to dig to another uh, reanimate effect and an Emrakul, and then you just swing for 22 in the air. Yeah, that sounds uh, pretty powerful. <laughs> well, it, win, it can win turn one. Uh, turn two, if you think your opponent has force. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, Daze and Spell Pierce are bad for it, but it can play around them. And, I mean, watching him play it, he, he's beaten uh, Stanislav Sivko with it. He lost to Todd Anderson last night. And this is just a guy locally who's played at one GP in his entire life, wow. beating, you know, established legacy pros with this deck. Yeah, that's impressive. So it's definitely worth looking at. <laughs> and you get to play a band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one I haven't seen played in quite a while. That card, I remember when it came out and everybody just tried to use it as a counterspell. Uh, it was just no. Yeah, if you, just say, if you say it really fast, I bait you! Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Awesome. So Ground Seal was in your Jun deck recently. Yeah, um, feels like a necessary evil with Reanimator being one of the most popular strategies. I've seen it in main decks as well. Like, do you think it's worth main decking still? Yeah, I do. Um, it actually, strange as it sounds, um, smooths out the Jug deck a little bit because one of the main weaknesses in building it is that uh, there are so many good 4 and 5 drops that you want to be playing with and so many fewer early plays. You know, you basically a far seek is the only like no-brainer early, early play that you're going to have in your Jug deck. So, just having Ground Seal uh, to to use your mana on a turn that you might otherwise just pass without doing anything, uh, maybe to dig one one card deeper to help you a little bit with hitting your land drops, I really don't mind just playing the Cantrip. And then, uh, many decks, it has a very relevant effect against. Um, Reanimator, obviously, it's going to save you against their their reanimate draws and, mm-hmm. you know, make them play a fair game with you, which you're, you're better at. And against Snapcaster Mage decks, takes away their single best card against you, means you can uh, use your slaughter games on a different card other than Snapcaster. It means you can not worry about all the different tricks they can do at instant speed. Um, so there's that. And then even something like Prime Speaker Bant has uh, Angel of Serenity, which taking away their option to target cards in the graveyard is certainly not something I'm going to turn down. So Ground Seal has all these little effects that add up and make it, you know, a fine card to play either main deck or sideboard. And at the very worst, it cycles in game one. Yeah, very worst, it cycles. Yeah, any card is playable if it costs two and says draw a card, I think. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, especially if it makes squirrels, right, Travis? I don't know of any score card that draws a card, Chris. Are you taunting me? Are you making fun <laughs> of me? It's possible. Awesome. So, Travis, why don't you uh, tell us about your notion of the week and see if we can get Reed's input on it. Uh, this week, I decided to try uh, looking at some block decks, and I selected a 4-0 list from a online daily on 
uh, March 30th. It was by Ryo One, which I don't know who Ryo One is. If anyone does, hey, let us know. Um, it's the well, top list on the da- on the uh, daily. Do you want to post the link? There we go. <laughs> Way ahead of you. You don't know who this guy is, do you, Reed? No, I don't know it. Okay. Uh, I just thought this deck looked like it had an interesting menagerie of creatures. Uh, it does run 28 creatures, and the only spells it runs other than creatures are charms, three Warzov charm, and four Selesnia charm. And it also is running Grove of the Guardian as a land drop. Wow. Yeah, this is like runs- a deck I could, I could be potentially interested in. I mean, it runs Angel Serenity, Armada Worm, Desecration Demon, and Obsidot. It just says, forget one drops and runs Gyre Sage, Lotless Troll, and the two drop, Dreg Mangler. I mean, this thing is, it seems like it's all of the board, but at the same time, it seems like if it gets to the late game, it's going to stomp somebody in the teeth. Yeah. You know, sometimes you don't need uh, those early drops if you if you know that you can pretty much outclass everything in the format with, with your, your play on turn four or five. Looks like this deck can do that, too. I mean, I do love the, uh, the Smiter the and the Centaur Healer at 3-drop have got to be graded as holding until it gets there. Yep. And Drake um, Mangler. It's, it's hard for me to imagine playing a basically all-creature deck in block-constructed without Domri Raid in the deck. Um, so I, I would be yep. curious about you know playing a similar strategy in a different color combination. But Obsidot and Orzhov Charm are certainly... And, and Lot of Troll 2 are certainly really powerful in black. So you would think of something uh, Naya-like, really, then. Because that would also give you, like, uh, the Gawkland Rampager. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Naya. not saying better or worse, it's just something I'd like to try. Um, yeah, t- traditionally there's, like, 28 creatures is great, but um, there's kind of... What's the word for it? Uh... I, I guess there are diminishing returns on the number of spells you have, but but by that I mean uh, actually the opposite, that there's like a lot of value to playing the first couple of removal spells or instants in your deck because they just give you like that much more play. So it seems strange for me uh, to see a deck with 28 creatures without having something that explicitly takes advantage of having all creatures like Domri Raid or, you know, Lead the Stampede or something like that. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think, because uh, the block format from what I've seen has been mostly Sphinx's Revelation decks up until now. Yeah, somebody summarized it to me as Sphinx's Revelation decks against Mono Red, <laughs> or against Red decks. Right. Uh, and of course, with Dragon's Maze coming before the Pro Tour, that could all get shaken up. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> this deck does look like it would be built to combat those Red decks. I mean, uh, Lawless Tro being able to regenerate is a great 2-drop. It's got... Healer and Smiter is a three-drop. Yeah, it has a lot of creatures that Red's going to have a hard time getting through. Well, even an early Gaia Sage, if you can turn two Gaia Sage into turn three Dragmangler, like your, your Gaia Sage then has uh, a t- is a two-three, and the Dragmangler has a three-three. A lot of Red's early creatures are going to have trouble getting through that. I mean, they both block Ash Zealot profitably. Right. And then, you know, the next turn, you've got the mana from the, the Gaia Sage to give you, you know, an extra, maybe even a, a five drop. If you can go into an Obsidat or something else, you know, Multiple or heaven forbid, another Gaia Sage and a Smiter to revolve them both. Or a Smiter and a Centaur Healer. Yeah, yeah this deck has a number of ways to gain life, which is really good for uh, coming back once you stabilize against Mono Red. 
Are you surprised? I'm surprised to see no Deathrite Shaman in here. Yeah, I was actually, uh, I had, uh, you know, kind of a flash of uh, an alternate build of this deck that played Grizzly Salvage and Deathrite Shaman. Um, Grizzly Salvage just being kind of like an, an impulse type card, which is fine, especially for a deck that doesn't have a lot of two drops. And then Deathrite Shaman being a really good card in its own right, just for, you know, life gain or whatever, but also powerful accelerant if you, if you happen to have Grizzly, Grizzly Salvage too. Yeah, that's, seems pretty strong. And I mean, Vraska in the sideboard is guaranteed to get me to want to play a deck. Yeah, and V2 Guzzy Guildmage in the sideboard. I mean, I guess, I guess control, if you can land that, you can just win off its strength alone, but. So I was actually thinking of, uh, trying Vraska in my standard Jun deck. What do you guys think of that? I've, well, you've sold me. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that the, uh, you know, the new tech is for Esper to play four evil twins on its sideboard against Jund. So it makes me really want to, you know, go less down the acidic slime route and more um, for the, the powerful non-creature threats. Well, the great thing about Vraska, I mean, she can do what acidic slime does, except she can't take out land. Mm-hmm. But against control, if you can land a turn four off the back of a Farseek, they have three turns before they lose the game. Right. And it's uh, yeah. especially powerful. Jund has, you know, Duress, Slaughter Games, and Rakdos' Return. So it's, if Raska's sitting there, you know, seven counters, eight counters, nine counters, it's not like I have to rush. I could just wait until I draw one of those and then kill them on the spot, you know, or, you know, effectively on the spot, give them one draw step. And it just seems like a really safe way to close a game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love Vraska. I played it in a junk build uh, before Gatecrash hit, uh, which had a, a really strong matchup against Control because it ran Vraska and Soren and Garrick and it just pumped out tokens all day and they just couldn't do anything about yeah, it. Yeah, that sounds like a nightmare. Um, well, I lent it to a friend of mine to play in a, at a GPT and she was playing against a mono red player and when she goes, uh, I heard her say, blink... Um, out of one with Restoration Angel. <laughs> and then I looked over at the board and she had Trustani in play. Oh. I'm like, right, well, that, that game's over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think Vraska maybe is a one or a two of in the main. Yep. It gives you a lot of game. And even against aggro, plus wanting Vraska against an aggro deck, a lot of time aggro players are going to panic and attack her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously not good players, but not everybody at the Invitational is going to be on the level where they will not panic when they see a Vraska, for example. Yeah, the risk, of course, which is something I remember from from Limited playing against Vraska, is the act of treason effects. You know, the zealous conscripts your guy, attack your Vraska <laughs> with it. That's kind of the blowout. Oh. Oh. Yeah, that seems unpleasant. Yep. <laughs> Do you play any conscripts in your board of your John build? Uh, not this particular build, no. I, I kind of treat it more as a control deck, um, where my, my main goal is, is to stabilize the board and then take over from there, whereas Zealous Conscripts is more of like a strictly offensive card. Yeah. I mean, there's no greater feeling than conscripting a Planeswalker and ultimating it. Yeah, that's <laughs> certainly true. <laughs> Unless it happens to you, which I don't want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, yeah, I really like this deck. I mean, it's interesting to see that people are uh, probably going to have to play Guildgates in the block format. 
Yeah, it's definitely a change of pace. Um, you know, there's a, a real cost in block constructed of each additional color that you add to your deck. Whereas we're used to standard and modern where it's kind of like, you know, I'm just going to do whatever I want and the mana will <laughs> It'll work. Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering, like, we had uh, Abundant Growth Sea play at, uh, Pro Tour, Averson Restored. Do you think Verdant Haven might be in a similar spot? Verdant Haven's a little slower. I could see it in, uh, you know, a very extreme kind of high-end ramp strategy, but uh, it's it's not one of the cards, you know, to, to use earlier's example, it's not one of the cards that I would say, this is my favorite card and I want to see how I can make a Verdant Haven deck, you know? Yeah, for sure. So have you started uh, looking at playtesting for the Pro Tour yet, or is there no point until Dragon's Maze hits? Um, there is some point. It's really good to have a background in the format as early as possible, but the fact is that a lot of the, the decks that you put effort into, there's a, there's a high chance that that effort's going to be wasted when Dragon Maze comes and changes everything so much. It's a little bit different in Standard or Modern, where the new set is representing like one-tenth of the, of the format. But with yeah. block, it's you know it's just going to be a completely different ball game when Dragon's Maze comes out. So you know, I, I also with my personality, I have the danger of getting like overly attached to something that I like, and that's just <laughs> gonna that would really end badly if if Dragon's Maze came out and and made my pet deck uh, no longer as good as I wanted it to be. Yeah, for sure, I can see that. So yeah, this deck I, I really like this. One deck I wanted to talk about while we're here is something that um, Sam Black posted uh, a couple of weeks ago now, which is a Bug Prime Speaker list. Okay, Master Biomancer, right? Yeah. Yep. So you've seen this, have you? Uh, not a full deck list, but I've seen like clips of Sam playing it. I've heard people talking about it. I mean, I really want to play Prime Speaker. Mm-hmm. I also really want to play Master Biomancer. Yeah. And this also has main deck Sever the Bloodlines, which, with Reanimator being such a stre- uh, threat right now. Don't you also want to play Corpse Jack Menace, Chris? No, I don't want to play Corpse Jack Menace, Travis. No, that was me. <laughs> hey, I did it on our stream last week. It was nuts. I want to play Corpse Jack Menace and Parallel Lives. While well, I'm that's just crazy this, talk. <laughs> while I'm looking up this deck list, why don't you uh, why don't you tell the listeners how that went on the stream, and also let Reed mock you ruthlessly for your terrible deck. <laughs> Please mock him, mock him a lot. <laughs> I did have a lot of awkward draws. That's what I'm going to blame it on, and not the fact that Naya Blitz is just an insane deck to play against. I yeah, played uh, so frustrating when you, you try to build your pet deck, and it's like they kill you so quickly. You're like, I didn't even get to you know do what I want to do. <laughs> yep. I didn't even get to establish my combo. Well, I think I played like five matches against Will, and I, my mana ended up being like two uh, M10 lands in my opening hand and like six of them. <laughs> There's this thing you can do in Magic. It's called a mulligan, and what you do is you take the bad hand. mulligans. <laughs> a mulligan from no land into two of those. So, no, I mean, it's like third, third three, I'm playing my first spell, and he's already got four creatures on the board. But you did, however, cast a Master Bio... Uh, not a Master Biomancer, a Prime Speaker with Corpse Jack Menace on the board. Yes, and Master Biomancer. And how many cards did you draw? Sixteen? I think so, yes. Wow. Like, five, uh, <laughs> like two Experiment 1, Clouds, uh, Finraptor, and everything else afterwards. Yeah, that's brutal. 
Sphinx is what? <laughs> <laughs> so the deck list, I just uh, posted a link to it in the show notes. I'm, I mean, I'm taking a look. This is this is something. <laughs> this this is a wild deck. It looks good to me. Um, there it looks like there's a like a basically this deck is just not going to lose when it gets to the the mid and late game. Um, the only weakness I would see would be a, lot, a lack of early plays, kind of leaning heavily on on Gyre Sage. And Fasik, yeah. Yeah, yeah the Fire well, Hawk was the one card that really jumped out to me. It was like, that's what I've been looking for in my Evolve deck. Yeah, yeah. imagine that with Master Biomancers. Too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's one thing I've learned, it's if Sam Black says a deck is worth playing, it's worth playing. <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking that when you're talking about, you know, wanting to play with Biomancer and Prime Speaker Zagana, you know, whenever you think of an out, an out there card like that, Sam Black is your man. Yeah, and notice he's so got he's got an alchemist's refuge in there too. Yeah, that card is ridiculous. Oh yep. my! I don't know if you were watching the SCG open today, any of you, but uh, there was a guy playing a bent control deck. It had alchemist's refuge in it, but it had not one, but two different primordials. Ugh. Really? Which ones? <laughs> the green one and the white one. Wow! And he blinked the white one with restoration angel. <laughs> Not did, you have, did you have Cavern of Souls to name uh, Avatar? Avatar? Is that what it is? Avatar? <laughs> yeah. Sadly, no. But considering that I got to spoil Luminate Primordial, I was basically sitting on the couch giggling like a schoolgirl at that point. Like, oh my god, my card is on TV. But yeah, it, it did work. I mean, a 4-7 with Vigilance, nothing is getting through that on the ground. Right. It sits there and eats Thrag Tusk all day, and you just play it, you know, destroy a... Uh, Angel of Serenity, get back everything they stole from you. It did work. But this deck, I mean, I'll just read the creature suite out, and this is, uh, people who listen to the show will know why I want to play it. I mean, it's got a Grizzlebrand. Grizzlebrand! Four, yes, thank you. Four Gaia Sage, four Master Biomancer, four Night Veil Spectre, hello, three Prime Speakers Agana, three Thrag Tusk, four Vampire Nighthawk, two Wolfia Silverheart. I, I don't even. I mean, <laughs> with a Master Biomancer out, and then you play a spe- prime speaker, and you pair it with your Wolfia Silverheart. So if your curve is Biomancer on four, Silverheart on five, prime speaker on six, draw some cards. Just a few. <laughs> Couple. Yeah, that seems nice. There was a guy today as well who was playing Collective Blessing in his prime speaker band deck. Wow. Draw even more cards. Yep. Now you've got to be careful with the prime speaker. I have decked myself quite a few times doing the math wrong. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> yeah. I had uh, uh, multiple Biomancers and multiple cor- Corpse Jack Manus in play and played one once and drew over 40 cards. Wow. I mean, generally speaking, I feel like that's a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so long as I'm doing it in the tournament practice room, I don't have a problem with it. Uh-huh. Or, or you have Lab Maniac in play. That would have been all right, too. So one thing I wanted to ask you quickly before we get on to the, a couple of final questions, Reed. At GP Toronto, you played... An incredible deck that I've never seen anything like before. Was that five-color Cascade Zoo? Right, right. How on earth did you come up with that? Well, it was kind of a funny process, but it it ended up being a a very, uh, I don't know if I want to say inbred deck, but it was kind of like designed to attack that exact tournament and basically the fact that Jun was going to be the most popular deck. I was playing around... um, 
you know, with my my beloved three color Jun deck with treetop villages, but I didn't like um, having a disadvantage against the Jun deck with lingering souls. So I tried adding lingering souls, but then I didn't like that my mana base was four colors. And then I thought, uh, you know, maybe I could cut Liliana's to make it a little bit easier on the mana. I tried Lightning Helix and some other things. And finally, I was like, all right, at a certain point, I just have to add Tribal Flames to this deck and Geist of St. Draft. Um, so that that was the process. It was just, like, basically trying to build a uh, a mid-range creature deck that played the most resilient threats, uh, Geist of St. Traft and Lingering Souls, which gave me a lot of game against Jund, and the most uh, effective removal spells, which in modern happened to be Burn, uh, Lightning Bolt, Lightning Helix, and Tribal Flames, and that worked out perfectly with um, Bloodbraid Elf, because in Jund, you run into the problem of casting Bloodbraid Elf, cascading into a Maelstrom Pulse when they have no permanence, or a Terminate, or whatever it might be, but uh, when you do it in that in that zoo deck, you cast Bloodbraid Elf and you get a Tribal Flames, you're like, okay, well, you don't have a creature to kill, I'm just going to deal you eight damage, you know? And that's totally fine. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that seems like a, a terrible worst-case scenario. I mean, <laughs> who would ever want to do that? So with that, with our eyes on the closing of the of the Pro Tour year, what are you set for? Like, are you set for gold now? Are you do you have a shot at platinum? I'm set for gold, and I have a shot at platinum. <laughs> um, it's 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 really just going to come down to to doing well at the Pro Tour for me. Um, I've been thinking about making uh, trips to you know maybe France for one last Grand Prix stuff like that. Try to chase a few extra points. But win, lose, or draw at these Grand Prix, I'm going to have to do well at the Pro Tour. So I think I've, I've decided just to let it hang on that. Just so just win the Pro Tour and just get don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's yeah. definitely plan A. Hey. If you win the Pro Tour, do you pass Yuya? Is that possible? <laughs> um, I, I I can't think of uh, you know the the leaderboard off the top of my head, but I would. Uh, if I was to, to top eight the Pro Tour, I would be I would be right in the thick of things, you know. I, I would be in the Players Championship and everything. And of course, you'd be you might even be at the World Magic Cup at that point. That's a that's a fair point. I hadn't even thought of that. Uh, would Would you be playing in any of the WMCQs? Like, is Washington a, a possibility? Yeah, for you, I think I'm planning to go to the one in Washington. Um, it's that's about a five hour drive for me, and I have a standard deck that I really like. I didn't get to play one last year, so uh, I'll be looking forward to that. Yeah, for the first time I am actually going. I missed qualification by 10 points last year, which was heartbreaking. Yes. But I qualified this year despite never playing in a GP in my life because, quite frankly, judging is just better EV. Uh, <laughs> oddly so oddly of, enough, I'm actually qualified. Yeah, I, and all of mine are on 1X events. Like, I haven't even played a PTQ. So I'm definitely playing. Uh, I will lose horribly, but hey... <laughs> At least I tried, right? Oh, I'm sure you're being modest. You never know. What no, happened. I'm terrible at this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've just traveled to enough, you know, PTQs and Star City Games and all sorts of other things that were going on um, through the like the fall and the um, winter that uh, that I got enough points. How many points do you have to have to qualify? Five hundred. Nope, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I played in a couple PTQs this year, and that's it. So once uh, once June comes around and I, I head to the WMCQ, I might be hitting you up for a list, Reed. Sure. Happy to help. 
and if you're still on Janda, I probably already know 90% of it. <laughs> hey, if I can if I can represent Canada at the WMCQ, awesome. I'm not going to complain. Then we will weep for Canada. Uh, it could be any worse than Alex Hayne, right? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, it could be like you, Will, and KYT. Imagine that. No. Just, just no. <laughs> Awesome. So, Reed, before we let you go and get ready for your return to Westeros, uh, anything you want to, to close on? Any advice for aspiring MTGO grinders or, or Pro Tour grinders? Well, actually, uh, shortly before I, I joined you guys for this uh, this cast, I just left Magic Online open and I had somebody message me, basically asking for advice on uh, you know how to break through at the Grand Prix level, and the best advice I really have is um, to stick with one deck through multiple tournaments. This person who messaged me, he cited, like, oh, you know, I feel like I have trouble knowing how to sideboard in an unfamiliar matchup. And the, the key to uh, breaking through those kinds of barriers is really just to learn the, the ins and outs of a single deck. Um, people always are afraid, you know, if they, if they go to a tournament and do poorly with a deck, they're like, oh, maybe there's a problem with the deck and I need to change. And of course, if you do set, if you, if you do force yourself to stick with the same deck, there is some risk of choosing the wrong deck, having something underpowered, but it's definitely going to be an approach that helps you grow as a player in the long run. To stick with one deck, learn it inside and out, learn how to sideboard. Not only are you going to do better with that deck, but you're going to, uh, pick up quicker, uh, you know, more click quickly on the workings of the next deck you choose in the next format that you have to play. And, It'll help you, maybe if your end goal is to be a world-class deck builder, then these are the skills you're going to have to have. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And I think one of the things that we've we've been lucky to have on this show is people who are willing to dispense good advice. And I think that's going to go, that's right up there with the advice that we've got from the, the likes of, of John Finkel and Patrick Chapin. So thanks a lot for that, Reed. And um, are you heading up to Portland? Uh, yeah, I'll be there. Awesome. Uh, I won't be, but I, I know a lot of people will be going. Uh, we hope to see you uh, in a, at a GP in, in Canada next year at some point, or later this year, because those are the only ones I get. I to hope to be there. I've, I've had an especially good time when I, when I went to Canada to play. Well, didn't you top eight GP Montreal a couple of years ago? I did. Ago? That was that was one of my first ones. Yeah, I remember. I remember hearing that that name and thinking, oh, I'm not sure who that is. Was your brother there as well? He was. God, my memory is just on fire today. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks very much for joining us tonight. Yeah, I, I, I had a great longer. time. Thanks for having me. Anytime. We'll be, we'd love to have you on again. Sure. When you have a little bit more time. And uh, enjoy the show. Thanks. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thanks, Reed. Take Bye, it guys. easy. Night. So, that was Reed Duke, everybody. Uh, it was always good to hear from professional players. And I think he had some great advice there towards the end about uh, choosing a deck and sticking with it. Speaking of which, let's talk about the decks that we've been sticking with recently. Adina, I hear something unusual happened this week. Well, you know, I called um, down to Idaho on Friday afternoon to find out what was going on, and they were going to have a draft, so I thought, oh, cool, I'll just drive down, you know, two hours and get there and draft. And I got there, and there were nine people, and they were like, oh, good, a judge. I said, okay, <laughs> then I guess, yeah, rather than have a nine-person draft... Um, you know, obviously, as an FNM, I, I could have judged and played, but, uh, you know, 
it worked a little bit better for everybody there if I just judged. So that's what I did. Um, I had two judge calls all night, and they were both about uh, pit fight. So, yeah. <laughs> no, pit fight is not combat damage. And, yes, it is an instant. So if you play it in response to them removing your creature, they will fight before the creature dies. Yes, and no first strike and double strike don't count. No. <laughs> but that, that that's although lifelink, lifelink would count, although I didn't get that question. Yes, I didn't get that question. But, uh, but yeah. So you didn't get to play. Now, how come the store didn't let you play? My store lets me do both. Well, it wasn't that they didn't let me play. It was that there were nine people there. So if there had been ten people or twelve people, you know, then they would have arranged it and, and I would have played. But with nine people, then there would have been a buy every round. It would have, you know, just kind of sucked for everybody involved. Whereas with eight people, it's a solid eight-person draft. You have, you know, three rounds. Everybody gets to play. Nobody's sitting around doing nothing. So it just – it it worked out better to just have a draft with eight people rather than having, you know, trying to do a nine-person yeah, that makes sense. So. so did you get to play any games or anything? Like I did get to play a little bit. Um, afterwards, they were going to have another draft afterwards, but there weren't enough people to do another draft. Um, there were like f- maybe four or five people that stuck around, and so we were just playing standard. And since I had come prepared to draft, I had sleeves and empty deck boxes. And uh, so a friend handed me a deck and said, here, I just built this deck. I'm really excited about it because I love Rock's Faith Mender. And I thought, wow, cool. Chris's favorite card. I'm going to play a deck with Rock's Faith Mender. This is going to be so cool. Was your friend's name Travis? It wasn't, actually. It was Sam. Mm. So shout out to Sam. I know it's a little early to do a shout out. But, yeah, shout out. Thanks for loaning me a deck. Um, so it was primarily a life gain deck, obviously, with Rock's Faith Mender. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't believe you. His <laughs> name was Travis. <laughs> it had uh, um, yes. Tristani. Tristani was in it. Uh, and unfortunately, the one game I had enough mana, I was going to play Tristani and then follow that up with a Rock's Faith Mender um, so that the Rock's Faith Mender would come in. I would gain the life from the Prime Speaker, and then I was going to blink it with Restoration Angel the next turn because I had eight mana at the time. And, of course, I play the Prime Speaker. I, I, not the Prime Speaker. I, I play the Tristani, and he just dissipates it. I'm like, no, you ruined the whole plan. I had this great thing. <laughs> um, and he had, I, I forget what the what the name of that spell is. It's um, green-white, gain seven life. Heroes, Heroes Reunion. Heroes Reunion. Yeah. Okay, so so Heroes Reunion is in it, and and so you know I pull him over and I tell him, and then there's not one removal spell in the entire deck. It's all just creatures and life gain and stuff like that. Um, there's Thrag Tusks and there's Restoration Angels, um, the usual complement of of what you'd expect in a green white deck, but uh, but nothing to remove anything, nothing to deal with your opponent at all. So uh, so I call him over and I tell him how terrible this card is and that he should take that out and put in O-Ring or something. Anything would be better. And sure enough, that's the turn that, you know, turn three I played a Chalice. Uh, or no, turn two I played that card. And then turn three I played a Chalice, tapped it and flipped it immediately, um, which didn't matter because the next turn it got detention sphered and so I it didn't even get to use it. But of course, the one the one game where I'm like, oh, this is the worst card. Take it out of the deck. It was exactly the card I needed when I needed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I played funnily enough a similar deck this week. We'll get to me in a minute. But all of us have now played Rock's Faith Mender, and I, I love it. Do you still love it, Travis? Of course. 
Uh, what are you about you, Adina? Do you love it? I love anything that doubles things. <laughs> Furnace of wrath. <laughs> Rock space mender, yeah. doubling. Gisela? Gisela? Like oh, yeah. Them? Oh, yeah. I like you need to oh, life link a Gisela with Rock's Faith Mender in play. Oh, God. Oh, that that, that sounds like an achievement yeah. unlocked, Chris. Challenge it, accepted. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's unfortunately going to have to happen. I mean, how many life? I mean, that's <sighs> what? 20, 20 lives? Life. Yeah. God damn it, Travis. Well, you're uh, for double strike, so you're gaining four. No, stop <laughs> it. And you're killing the shot. <laughs> Stop. Sure. I'm actually not sure, because I was planning to play an angel deck, an angel theme deck uh, at some point with uh, Defy Death, and obviously you could play Caverns. I would not be playing Restoration Angel, as that seems like poor value. Uh, and it was going to be base red-white, so, hmm. Yep. Was it going to be standard, huh. I mean, or was it going to be standard, or was it going to be angels from throughout Magic? No, it's standard. I mean, yeah. if you could also manage to fit Tristani in there, I mean, imagine having Tristani, Rock's Faith Mender, and assemble the legions. <laughs> you, could go, you could put Marlin in it, and then you could call it my Angel of the Morning deck. You've just broken my brain. Just call me Angel. Stop. <laughs> right there. <laughs> Travis, have you been playing any magic recently? Um, I have been some, as you could tell if you've seen the stream. I've been flipping back and forth between a gruel-ish deck and a bug deck, and I've also been uh, smacking around some commander. Okay. I'm still trying to figure out the bug deck. Uh you know, Sam Black had to go and post that, but so now <laughs> I don't want to to go too much in his direction. Because damn it, I'm a Johnny, and I have not a Johnny, a Johnny, and <laughs> I have to have my individuality. So yeah, that's where I'm at. Okay, still growing creatures ginormous with Master Biomancer. I really like that card. I, I, I'm probably taking Sam Black's list to FNM this week. Well, my next attempt I'm going to try this week is um, using Master Biomancer in a tokens build, like an Esper's token splashing blue for Biomancer, and then maybe uh, Moreland Haunt. Because it just seems like, you know, casting him and then playing and flashing black lingering cells seems good. Yeah, okay, I can see that. I mean, if there's a parallel lives in there, too, I mean. Yeah, Adina just wants to do that now. <laughs> I actually uh, opened up Magic Online and uh, updated it, and there was like a thousand updates that it had to do. Uh, but I updated my client and logged in, and then, of course, I had to, you know, turn it off and leave because I was on my way to Friday Night Magic. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to get back into that because this is my last week of the crazy two-job getting up at five in the morning thing because snowboarding season is over and the mountain is closing, so they won't really need me to work there if it's closed. Um, so, yeah, so I may actually have some time when I come home from work. I can maybe play some, some magic online. So I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Yeah, should be fun. So can, can I can I talk about what I did this week now? Ooh, what did you do this week, Chris? Go ahead, let it out, Chris. Let it out. I want F and M. 
So it was sort of, I guess, ESPA mid-range would be the best way to describe it. Uh, at the lower end, I had Ultimate Price and Devour Flesh. I had Vampire Nighthawk. Then moving up the curve, I had Sorin and Rock's Faith Mender and Obsidat and Ghosty McJazz Hands. I had Supreme Verdict and Sphinx's Revelation. And I think that was it. Basically, the, the idea behind the deck was to gain as much life as possible and not die, uh, which I did quite a lot, actually. Uh, in game one of round one, I played a, one of the best players in the store, which completely puts to rest Will's theory. And uh, I mulled to five. Well, Will had a theory that I poisoned all of the good players in the store. Oh, I thought we were automatically taking that as fact. No, it's not fact. See, I just figured you played Inkmoth Nexus. <laughs> well, uh, that would have been uh, modern FNM, which was happening at the same time. But the uh, so round one, game one, I multi five, and he's playing uh, Experiment Jund. So he comes rip roaring out the gates, and he has like eighteen damage on the board. When I get to turn four, fortunately I was on the play, and I cast Supreme Verdict, and he forgets that Experiment One can regenerate. Oh, so you're just playing against bad players. Well, no, he just missed that interaction. So I had another Supreme Verdict in hand anyway, so I would have been... But it, what that enabled me to do was when he played Gore Clan Rampager the next turn, I could save the Verdict and just cast Devour Flesh on it. And then I was able to flashback Lingering Souls the same turn instead of having to wait a turn to cast that. So it it, it bought me a turn, basically. And then I dropped Sorin and... Sorin's pretty good in an empty board. Do you think maybe he got yeah. the the um he got it confused with wrath and he was thinking instead of can't be countered, can't regenerate was the other clause on it? I doubt it. This guy plays a lot of standard. He he knows what the card does. Yeah. He just missed I asked him about it afterwards and he, he missed it. You know, he just missed the fact that you he could have removed two counters. It's not something that you that often comes up with experiment one, so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see someone in an SCG open doing that, for example. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I was really happy with the way the deck ran. Uh, I had been goldfishing it quite a bit during the week, which is unusual for me. Normally, I just build the deck at the store before F&M starts, so I'm not comfortable with it. But this time, I built it beforehand. I had some time to play around with it. I knew it was fast enough in terms of recovery to beat aggro. Like, two of the rounds, I played aggro, and... You know, I went down to like four life or five life before I was able to stabilize and recover. But any control player will tell you, you're either dead or you're winning. <laughs> because every turn that you're not dead is a turn for you to stabilize, right? Yeah. <laughs> but the key, the key thing to the deck, and the reason I played it, was that it had the exquisite blood Viscopa Guild Mage combo in the main deck, which killed two people. So, ding! Achievement, Achievement unlocked. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like somebody was, has been talking about, or back when spoiler season coming around, really liked Viscopa Gills Mage and thought it had a lot of potential. Uh, I wouldn't take me winning an FNM as confirmation of its potential, but I didn't disagree with you at the time, and I still don't. I think it's better in modern. I was going to say, I think Sam Black has mentioned it two or three times, too. Nonetheless, it, it sounds like it was really fun. Oh, the deck was fun as heck. And... Being able to um, to kill people with that combo, and also like I had Chalice of Life in the side, which is really good against control decks. I had uh, Azurius Charm and Tragic Slip. 
Now, my, my sideboard was well thought out as well. I even had blind obedience for the haste creatures in, in the aggro decks. I really enjoyed playing it, and uh, winning never hurts. So, yeah, that was that's what I've been playing. I've also been working on in modern a red-white controllish deck with Isochron Scepter. What spells are you putting under the Scepter? I mean, obviously, Path. Lightning Bolt and Helix. And Path. And Boros Charm. I have two Boros Charm in there, but that might come out. Uh, the other thing I really was thinking about playing in there was Moonhold, which is a, a card I've been a, a big fan of for a while, but never really been able to fit it in anywhere. Moonhold? I think it's called Moonhold. Let me just look this up. If it's if I'm correct, it's two and a red-white hybrid uh, for an instant. Uh, target player cannot play land this turn. Uh, let me check. Yeah, if you see. if you play red, yeah, target player can't play lands this turn if red was spent to cast Moonhold, and can't play creature cards this turn if white was spent to cast it. Right, and it, oh, okay, so it doesn't draw a card. That's a shame. But there is a card that does has a similar can't play lands effect and lets you draw a card, but I can't remember the name of it, and and not in modern anyway. Sirocco, no, Sirocco was the one that stops blue spells. There was a card I was considering putting under Isochron. I can't remember the name of it. I'm about to look it up. That it's a white card I was going to suggest it to you. Silence. Well, that too, if you want to go that the controlling route. No, it's Angel's Grace. It's from New Phyrexia, I think. It can trips for one in a white, and I think it's all permanents in an opponent's battlefield tapped. Oh, yeah, I know the one you mean. Do um, or. Uh, yeah, do stupid search bar. Do respect. Do respect, yes. Permanent's end of the battlefield, tap this turn. Draw a card. Yeah, that might be, I'm sure I've got millions of them. That might be good to put under a scepter. I mean, it does cantrips and it does slow your, because it does, I mean, in their upkeep, it keeps their land from coming in. It slows them down a good bit. Yeah, and especially if they're playing, like, fetches, right? Right. Yeah, this is worth looking at. I, I, I mean, it, it slows Twin and Pod down a turn. I mean, it slows Pod down quite a bit. I mean, the Pod comes into play tap too if you want to cast it early. Yeah. So that's something else worth looking at. A Moonhold I've always liked the look of, and uh, I might consider playing that, especially and maybe in the sideboard against some of the aggro decks. Or if you know your opponent is about to play a Geist or something, like the worst that happens is they have to spend their mana countering your Moonhold, <laughs> which effectively does the same thing anyway, and especially if they remind it. Yes, they get to draw a card, but if they were about to go turn three Geist, well, they're not doing that this turn, and then you can do it again in the next upkeep. You, you just want to make people unhappy, don't you? Well, I am also playing Stone Rain and Blood Moon in the main of this deck. <sighs> <laughs> There's a lot of Tron in my meta, okay? <laughs> Some people just want to watch the world burn. And there's a Johnny and Elspeth. What about and Silence? Things. Yeah, that's a possibility too. Uh, there's also Wall of Omens and Restoration Angel. It's too bad Orem's chant isn't legal, huh? I, oh. I would say yes, it's too bad, but I lost to that deck quite a bit, so now I'm not sad that it's gone. Back when there was Mana Burn, I seem to recall I was playing a Mind's Desire deck, and so I, you know, played Mana, 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 Mana. I had, like, 30 Mana in my Mana Pool, 
And then my opponent played Orem's Chant, and I was just like, oh, man. <laughs> That's just wrong. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so Turf Wound and Solfatara were the two cards that cantripped after letting you uh, draw a uh, stop your opponent from playing lands. I do not remember Solfatara. That's because it was from Visions. I played when Visions, Visions first came out. Uh, well, okay. Apparently, I thought that might have been one that was in Modern, but I guess not. Turf Wound is in Invasion. Solfatara was in Visions. I remember Solfatara and Sirocco, for that matter. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's leave that there and move on to a random moment of geekery. Adina. Go! Do we really need to have separate random moment of geekeries this week? I mean, isn't everybody's random moment of geekery going to be exactly the same? No. We're going to watch Game of Thrones in like five minutes? Probably. But that's not my moment of geekery. (laughs) Okay, well then, that's my moment of geekery, and I'm sorry, Travis, if I'm stealing your moment of geekery, um, and I I know, obviously, I'm stealing Reed's moment of geekery, but he's not here to say it, so, haha, Game of Thrones, (laughs) yes! Season three, yeah, we're so ready. We're so ready. <laughs> yes, it's DVRing as we speak. Ah, oh, I'm not going to be able to watch it. Okay, awesome, Just, Travis. Why aren't you going to be able to watch it? Well, not today. I because uh, I don't have cable anymore. Oh. Okay, I was going to say, don't you have like HBO Go? You could just log into the computer. But if you don't have cable anymore, then you wouldn't have a login. Well, you could technically still pay for HBO and get HBO Go. Uh, hi, I'm Chris Lansdale. I live in Canada. And? <laughs> we don't have these things. You don't have right. HBO you, in Canada? You keep your free health care, and I'll keep my HBO Go. How's that? We have HBO <laughs> Canada, but it's included in a movies package, and HBO Go, I don't believe, is a thing. I've never heard of it anyway. But then again, we also don't get, uh, we can't access that TV, Hulu. We don't have access to Hulu here. Do you get like a free bottle of maple syrup when you sign up for HBO in Canada? Is that what <laughs> HBO in Canada is? Or like Man, a mo- that stuff is expensive, yo. Good maple syrup, yeah. Real, No, real maple syrup. Not table syrup. Not pancake syrup. Not imitation. Not maple-like syrup sauce or whatever. But actual real maple syrup I, is expensive. I think you're forgetting that I lived in Vermont for three years. I was forgetting that. I yes. know been, about maple syrup. Yeah. It's still not as good as the Canadian stuff. I don't know if I'm ever, I didn't say that. I didn't say anything about that. I just said I know about maple syrup. I lived in Vermont. What were you saying, Travis? I don't think I've ever really had for real maple syrup. Well, when you come up to uh, Grand Prix Toronto in uh, November, December, you can. Do I have to have my passport to come to Canada? Yes. But you've got, what, nine months to get it? Eight months yeah, to get it. Yeah, but that means I have to buy my passport. Dude, they're not expensive, and you get to see Will. Uh, you're, that you're saying that like it's supposed to be a selling point. Well, you also get to see me, but I figured that would be less of a selling point. Yeah, this whole Canada thing is not sounding fun. Like to see KYT? <laughs> Well, they're just getting worse and worse. Or Scotty Mac? Okay, well, that's a bonus. Hey, both of them have managed to come down here to see me. It would only be reciprocal if I come up there to see them. Well, I'm sure they will at some point. Uh, 
Do you have a moment of geekery, Travis, by the way? Yes, I do. Given that today is Easter, I have a photo um, to remind everyone that just because it looks like an egg does not mean that it is an egg. Oh, dear. I don't even think I want to look at this. Have you have you opened the link I have sent you? I'm scared to open it, Travis. Here, I just post, post it on our Facebook. I, I'm scared. I don't, I don't, uh. Is this what I think it is? Yes, I've seen this one. This is amusing. <laughs> Remember on holidays, no one can hear you scream. No one can hear you scream. Get it? <laughs> all right, so my moment of geekery, I have two. Actually, first of all, I want to give a huge, I won't say a shout-out, but I guess props to Gavin Verhey, uh, former podcaster and now designer at uh, Wizards of the Coast. He put on a tabletop day celebration yesterday, which was also his birthday, by the way, for uh, to, to raise charity money for Child's Play. And from the looks of it, it was very successful, and a lot of people came out. And I thought that was just an awesome way to spend your birthday, you know, raising money for charity, and, of course, having to go through the terrible drawback of playing board games all day. Which that I would, wouldn't be exactly the most unfun way to spend your birthday. No, indeed. But, yeah, that's, uh, that, that definitely deserves a shout-out. The other part of it, and this is in our show notes, so you can have a look at it, is a poster that a fan has done up uh, for the new Star Wars movies showing the old actors as they look now. And uh, Harrison Ford looks very distinguished. Uh, Mark Hamill looks old. Carrie Fisher looks weird. And Chewbacca seems to have aged the best of all of them. <laughs> Funny how that works. Well, maybe C-3PO and R2-D2. Maybe it's like reverse dog years. He's aging one year for every seven years they age. Maybe. But yeah, I thought that was pretty cool, and I'm actually looking forward to these Star Wars movies. I mean, they can't be any worse than Episode One, right? Right? I, I, I mean, I didn't think Please. Lucas could make anything that bad, so I will not underestimate him again. Please say I'm right. Hey, look, I mean, I'm the dude who named one of his kids Anakin. You have a kid named Anakin? Yes. I I'll explain believe... after the show. Okay. Well, no. <laughs> okay, this is interesting. Uh, let's move on to shout-outs before my brain gets any more addled. Adina, shout-outs. Okay, shout-out to Martinet for hosting our website. Shout-out to Card Kitty for the image that is on our website. Shout-out to Sam at Outland Comics for loaning me a deck um, with no removal in it. But nonetheless, thank you for loaning me a deck. That was really cool of you. <laughs> and uh, shout-out to Graham, who is an aspiring level one uh, judge and will probably be assisting me at the pre-release. And, uh, yeah, that's it for this. And shout-out to uh, to Gavin Verhey. Happy birthday. And shout-out to Reed. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Awesome. Travis? Shout-out to Team Girth. Kirk DeBay apparently ruptured his eardrum today, so hope he gets well. Um, shout-out to Billy, Jacob, Brian, David. Shout-out to the wife. Shout-out to everyone on Twitter again. I love the people on Twitter. Keep me amused. And that's about it. Shout-out to Will for uh, dodging us for a second week in a row. I mean, I, I guess he just doesn't like our guests. He hates Travis food and... Read a rabbit. 
<laughs> I guess that's what it is, yeah. Uh, okay, so I want to give a shout-out, first of all, to Face-to-Face Games. Uh, once again, they'll be at GP Portland, where you can have your Sal tokens that you get with every order, signed by the man himself. Also, keep an eye out on the face-to-facegames.com website for product release for Dragon's Maze. Once the spoilers start going up, you'll be able to order singles and get sealed product pre-ordered and ready to rock. Uh, give a shout-out to Reed Duke for joining us. Awesome to have him on the show. It was great fun. A uh, shout-out to all the guys at the local game store. It's been uh, great getting back into the flow of playing more tournaments and uh, actually getting on the go and enjoying things again. Uh, give a shout-out to everybody who's been interacting with me on Twitter recently. I've been having a lot more fun on there recently. It's, it's, it's a nice place to be when nobody is insulting you for you know, playing jank. And, of course, make sure to watch the Horde of Notions choose, uh, Bruesday Night Magic stream this Tuesday. Uh, probably Will and Travis will be at it. Possibly Quite with a possibly. special guest appearance by me telling them how terrible they are. Hey, I think you really added something to it last time. Aww. Ain't you lovely? So, on that note, Let's wrap this baby up. So, for the absent Will, for the special guest, Reed Duke, for Adina and for Travis, this is Chris saying join us again next time for another exciting episode of Horde of Notions. Hellrider.